Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking sports locally and nationally. Join the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back to another edition of the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, hashtag ODPH Podcast. I am your host, Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, it's Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. And Coach Duffy is conspicuous by his absence. We hear rumors that he might be out in Las Vegas trying to check out the Summer League games. Yeah, I heard that, too. Yes, we're trying to track him down. He's still very, very upset about what happened with KD and Kyrie going to Brooklyn. And I'll say that, or he's either he's either doing that or looking for Floyd Mayweather's ankles. If you haven't seen the clip, look it up. My God. Yes, that was very impressive. Yeah, that was something. It was, yeah, did not see that one coming. But I do see coming down the pike, though, us talking about the latest breaking in sports. So hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. Join in the conversation because we want to talk with you. Now, the biggest sports story since last episode mm-hmm. had to be the final big free agent of the NBA has made his decision where he's playing. Mm-hmm. The final domino, if you're playing a game of dominoes, fell and now we're trying to stand here looking at the at the rubble and the carnage and the whatever you want to however you want to put it of the craziness that was the NBA free agency and kind of going all right where are we standing right because as we were recording last week the last remaining big free agent still unsigned Carmelo Anthony yes <laughs> but there was one a little more important than him right now oh yeah and that is one Kawhi Leonard boardman yes who has decided to leave the kingdom of the north he's leaving the north. He's vacating the Toronto Raptors and joining the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh-huh. Doing like Jon Snow. He's served his watch. His night's watch is ended. Uh, yeah. For you, Game of Thrones fan, you'll get it. If you're not, oh, apologies. But, yes, uh, as Ken said, he is, uh, he is leaving the Toronto Raptors and joining the Los Angeles Clippers on a four-year, $140-plus million deal with the Clippers. So, Pat, your initial reaction when you heard this? Uh, What? Yeah, that that was my initial reaction because I did not see the Clippers happening. I figured he was going to stay with the Raptors because I figured with as much as that city has embraced him and as much as, you know, the head coach up there has talked about liking him and, and how much fun he was to coach, I figured, you know, he would have found the perfect fit for him after all the nonsense with San Antonio. But the more I think about it, the more this makes sense because, you know, now he can kind of write the own narrative for this team and it's finally something that like okay it's his team as good as he was and as good as that san antonio spurs team was that he was on that wasn't his team that was something that had been established and been built since like the late 90s when they drafted tim duncan and then they got tony parker and then manu ginobili and then you know you had greg popovich in there that that's you know a well-established system that had been bringing guys in and, and building success this to me makes sense for him because you know you can kind of build your legacy off of this. Is okay, you're going to a team that you know they're all right. They're you know, they're nothing special. They're nothing to write home about. But he, he can kind of build things and kind of leave his legacy. This news broke in the middle of the night over the weekend too. Yeah, that was the other weird thing. Is I woke up to this and I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, this was almost a dreamlike scenario per se, because with Kawhi, obviously in the storybook tale that has played out this season with him going to Toronto after leaving San Antonio not in good terms. It was messy. It was very messy, and, and he was the consummate professional up in Toronto, and he played every night, and he, you have to say he changed the culture up there, that he really made an impact of 
just how he yeah. how he really made the Raptors his team. And they looked different this entire year. Oh no, they did because I think for a lot of years the Raptors were kind of like they weren't the laughing stock of the league, you know, but they also weren't like the beloved darlings of the league. So they were kind of like, ah, yeah, they're there. They're, they're all right. They're nothing special. But then I think I think he definitely turned that culture around. Where like, all right, you don't mess with Toronto. Right, he definitely established the whole We the North movement and mm-hmm. in the King of the North and going to the Game of Thrones reference. And he really Im- kind of just gave a new identity to that team, which it was, I don't want to say it was sorely lacking, but obviously they've had their issues trying to get further in the Eastern Conference Finals, except they ran into LeBron James every year. Yeah. And LeBron was LeBron, and they never beat him. And you can go through the lineage of that. So obviously with Kawhi Leonard getting there and giving them the storybook tale this season of the dramatic shot against Philly, which put him over the hump, and then the the finals, which was newfound ground, and just how Kawhi and company took over, and obviously he won the chip there. So to, when it came time for free agency, it was very heavily rumored, okay, if he was going to go anywhere other than Toronto, where would he go? And he would go back home to Los Angeles. He is from California. He likes the weather out mm-hmm. there a little more. Yeah, it, it and it, it's where he was thinking of going. And, and if you break it down, there was only one of two options he was going to go. And we've been saying it on the show for a while too. He was going to Toronto or he was going to Los Angeles. Right. I didn't think it was going to be the Lakers though because he said multiple times, "Yeah, I grew up in Southern Los Angeles, but I didn't grow up a Lakers fan." Right. So there, so there's no luster or lure, you know, where. You know, oh, you know, my dad or my mom or, my, you know, who I, my uncle used to root for the Lakers. And I watched all the Lakers games when I was a kid. And I can't wait to put on the purple and gold like that's not there for him. So it's like, OK, yeah, the Lakers are a cool team, but eh, not really my cup of tea. Right. And especially to this season where you're seeing certain teams putting together another super teams. Right. And you're seeing like the Lakers are prime example. The yeah. Anthony Davis move and the LeBron mm-hmm. making that happen to get him out of New Orleans. And they obviously cleared up enough cap space they thought they were going to get a third superstar to play along with them. Right. And it was heavily rumored it was going to be Kawhi. But we've been talking about this on the show for a while. Right. Well, and there were some weird there's some weird stories coming out that, you know, up until Kawhi made his decision uh, to go to the Clippers, I was reading some stuff that was, you know, I guess the Lakers were trying to delay the Anthony Davis move in the hopes that they might end up landing Kawhi. But obviously that didn't work out. Now Davis is officially a Laker. Right, it was kind of a weird setup with the contracts and such when they when they're talking NBA free agency. It's a lot of just loose ends needed to be tied up. The I's needed to be dotted, T's needed to be crossed. Yeah, so obviously with the Anthony Davis move, there was a lot of waiting to see what Kawhi was going to do because obviously with cap space and such, yeah, yeah. they need to factor a lot into the books. And this was the year, though, as we've discussed on here many times, that teams like such as the Knicks, mm-hmm. Brooklyn Nets. Clippers, Lakers, were trying to clear as much cap space as possible to sign multiple superstars. And when we heard the Lakers were trying to make that final push and clear out that third Mm -hmm. mega superstar contract, we all thought, okay, maybe Kawhi was going to go there, but it didn't really make a lot of sense. Just kind of seeing from what we perceive from him in the media and just his actions that he didn't really want a whole super team mentality. Like, why, why would he go there? When he's been the guy that has been essentially the super team killer. Yeah. You know, the legend killer. He defeated the Miami Heat when they were on their run, and then he defeated the Golden State Warriors when they were on their run. Yeah, so it didn't really make sense for him to go join up with LeBron and and Anthony Davis. 
Not, I mean, if he did, I would have said the season is over. So it's almost like he's an existential force, like you see in comic books or movies or something like that, where like somebody gets too powerful and then this force comes in to keep him in check. You know, the like heat got too powerful, in comes Kawhi. Golden State got too powerful, in comes Kawhi. And right, and that's a perfect analogy too, because he is always somebody that it, it, I almost want to say is like almost like a throwback, right? Because in this day and age of the NBA, you see superstars needing to team up with other superstars to make a, a powerhouse team. And and this is the thing with Kawhi, too. You know, you get players like LeBron, Curry, or even Kevin Durant, who they have flashy plays and they have great highlight plays. What's the one thing, even if you're just a casual NBA fan, you don't watch that many games that everyone knows about Kawhi and knew about Kawhi this entire season? His laugh. Yeah. Like, at no point were you, you know, you saw Kawhi highlights. Obviously, he had that, that game-winning shot in the playoffs against the 76ers. But, like, you weren't going out. He wasn't like he was going out and, and averaging a triple-double throughout the entire season. It's not like he was putting up insane numbers. He played. He did well. But by by and by, he was kind of under the radar. Yeah, he definitely flies low-key under the radar compared to other superstars. That he is just somebody that is all business when he steps on the court. And that's why I said he's almost like a throwback in a sense that he doesn't really need a super team per se. No. Now, obviously, and we'll get to this next segment, he did join up with somebody out in the Clippers to kind of form a strong force out in the West. See, I don't view that, and I know we'll get into this as the second, the next segment, but I don't view that so much as a super team as kind of like, you know, role players. Right. I mean, it's debatable on what you think of Paul George's game. Yeah. And I think that it just depends on what you personally perceive him to be. Is he a superstar on that level, or is he a great player that is a little higher than a role player, so to speak? You can debate this. Yeah. But for Kawhi, who has written his own legacy now, for him to go to the Clippers, and especially this is such a big move for the Lakers, how is it that in this day and age, and I'll be the first one to say this, the Knicks and the Lakers aren't drawing the big free agents per se. No. It's the Nets and yeah. the Clippers. Yeah. No, it, it's wild to see that, like, you know, for a lot of years, the the Clippers have been kind of the little brother to the Lakers where, oh, yeah, you know, they're it's like when you're hanging out with your friends and you got a younger sibling and, and the younger sibling's doing something to get attention. And you're like, oh, but don't pay any attention to him. He's just being a goofball. You know, it's kind of, and then all of a sudden, they start paying attention to your little brother because it's like, oh, hey, no, they're actually doing something kind of cool. Like, that's kind of where we're at, where it's like, okay, the Clippers aren't just the joke. You know, the, oh, they're just, they just rent out the Staples Center. They don't, they don't run the Staples Center. Like, no, there could be a very good chance that, like, you might see a switch in power in the, in the LA market where, you know, the Lakers may, might not be the favorites anymore. It's going to be an interesting season with those two teams. And Pad's right. I, this is going to be one of those times you see, the media focus shift a bit off the Lakers. I mean, the Lakers are going to be the Lakers. And, yeah, and, yeah. And, and you can't say, okay, well, they're just going to fall under the radar. But for them not to land that big free agent yeah. after clearing out that cap space, yeah, that's very telling in its own right. And for the Clippers to pull this move off, I mean, I know it's, it's a definite new team out there. Mm-hmm. And obviously, since the Donald Sterling incident and Steve Ballmer, yeah, Steve Ballmer, former uh, Microsoft head, head honcho, which, man, I wish I was in the room when he found out about this news. Because if, if anyone knows about Steve Ballmer's reactions, YouTube, it, it's a thing of gold, of internet gold. You know, I just wish I was in the room when Steve Ballmer found out about this. Right. When he took over the team, obviously they've been making some moves and they've definitely been making some things yeah, happen. Yeah. And they've transitioned from Blake Griffin and Chris Paul and DeAndre Jordan 
to where they are now, which, I mean, to see how this team is set up to make a run, this team is going to definitely make some runs deep in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I mean, arguably, and I'll stick to this now because I said on last week's show, if Kawhi went to the Lakers, it was done, and it was going to be them and Philly in the finals. Yeah. I'm even going to give you my early ODPH prediction. It's going to be the Clippers yeah. and Philly. Philly is a lock for me in, in the finals. I'm sorry. That's just how it's going down. Well, I mean, if you look at the odds makers, uh, obviously the Clippers jumped to overall favorites with a 3-1 to one odds to win the NBA, fi- NBA finals. But then if you kind of flip and you go, all right, well, the Clippers are coming out of the West. Who's coming out of the East? Uh, I'm looking at VegasInsider.com, and they have the Milwaukee Bucks listed at number two to win the uh, NBA finals at 9-2 to two odds. Right. So obviously this has shifted a lot around the NBA and just to think about this season too. Mm-hmm. This off season has been one of the wildest. And it's been like what a week? A week. If you want to break it down, I'll even stretch it out about 10 days. Yeah. It has been one of the absolute most wild times in recent memory that teams now this almost has a feel of parody almost. A little bit that teams are not exactly a dominant lock for the playoffs. Like the Golden State era, in my opinion, this year is now done. Right. And with Kawhi now coming back to the West, uh-huh. and they're loaded on the Clippers. Like right. they are ready to make a run. This is just showing that the NBA has taken a step, I guess, in the right direction per se. Right. That there's now the parity. Because even in the East, still, I mean, Giannis is still there, and the yep. Bucks are still looking yep. good. Yep. Brooklyn is going to be a year or so away. Yeah, they'll, they'll be all right, but they're not going to, you know, be turning any heads this year. Right. They're not going to definitely because, I mean, it's all going to be on um, Kyrie Irving and depends on how he gels with the team there, right. which, yeah. I mean, yeah. on paper, it's it looks good. but It looks good, but every day you get more and more bizarre stories from his time in Boston coming out of the woodwork, so right. who knows. And you're trying to tell me Boston's not going to have a chip on their shoulder this oh, year? Oh, it's Boston. They always do. They're going to have one, but I tell you what, that young team that they've built out there I think is finally going to be the team that you want to see in the finals. And, and yeah. really, like, the true potential is going to be met. And Philly, like like I said, with Al Harford joining the team, they're going to be absolutely scary. And I think Philly, it all depends if Simmons can really hone in on that jump shot and mm-hmm. Embiid can really step up and play. But f- along with Harford, that defense could just be downright scary. Yeah. And going into the playoffs, it's going to be anybody's guess if everybody stays healthy. But yeah. to, to, but to bring it back, I mean, even Toronto is going to be all right. They're still going to have Siakam, still going to yep. have Van Vliet. Yep. I mean, their roster as it stands right now, is how's it looking, Pat? I mean, so if you're looking at just kind of like the, the number one players on their depth chart, you've got Patrick McCaw at small forward, Mark Gasol listed at center, Siakam at power forward, Kyle Lowry at point guard, and then uh, – on. Anubui? Apologies for butchering that name at shooting guard. But, I mean, they, you know, they still got some decent players. They got Fred Van Fleet, Jody Meeks, Malcolm Miller, Norman Powell, Serge Baca, Jeremy Lin, and Eric Moreland uh, behind their their proverbial number one on the depth chart. So, you know, okay, yes, it's it's a big loss losing a player of Kawhi Leonard's, you know, ability and skill level, but they're still pretty good. They're still going to be good, and especially in how he left, too. He was a consummate professional this year. Mm-hmm. He didn't say... Oh, I'm going to come back. I'm going to be back. I'm going to be back and do the the media circus stuff that Kyrie Irving did. Yeah. That you, you almost what you're hearing rumors about Kevin Durant maybe have said something telling players he's going to come back and then didn't, whatever the case is there. No. Kawhi never said anything about it. He said, I'm focused on this year and I'm focused on this team. 
and he led them to the chip. Win, lose, or draw, whatever your feelings are about him leaving, you have to say thank you if you're a Raptors fan because he did everything right, and he is somebody that changed that culture for the better because now Toronto is really taken seriously as yeah. a legitimate NBA threat. Yeah. Because in years past, it was always said, you can't get past Cleveland, so they yeah. ever, they get brushed off. Yeah. Now what they do moving forward, they still have Siakam there, and mm-hmm. he's a star on the rise. They still have some parts they can contend with, and will, oh, they, yeah. con- and will they contend in the East? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. But it's going to be anybody's guess where it goes. But like we said, Kawhi going to the West is such a huge move. Mm-hmm. And like we said, he didn't come alone. But we're going to get into that next segment. But hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts about Kawhi Leonard joining the Clippers? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Johnny Moose from Excite Wrestling, and you're listening to the ODPH. I didn't mess it up. I thought I would. Right now, back to the guys. Coming back for segment number two on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we are still talking some NBA. Mm -hmm. And as we said last segment, Kawhi Leonard has left Toronto, gave them a great legacy, but now he's going back to Cali and has joined up with the Los Angeles Clippers, Mm -hmm. not Lakers. And he didn't come alone in arguably the biggest trade shock of this young free agent time or free agency offseason official, whatever you want to define it. Paul George is coming with him yeah. to the Clippers. Mr., you know, uh, you're renting me for a year. I'm going to join the Lakers after this offseason. This, of course, being two years ago. And then he goes, oh, no, you know what? I'm Two or three years or whatever it was. And he goes, no, you know what? I'm going to stick with OKC. I'm committed to OKC. They named a day after this man in Oklahoma City. Like, I, th- I think it was like July 7th or something like that. It was known, In Oklahoma City, it was known as Paul George Day because it was on the day he, he re-signed with the Oklahoma City Thunder. And, you know, this day f- henceforth shall, ever be, shall forever be known as Paul George Day. And I'm pretty sure it was on the same day that was Paul George Day, ironically enough. Uh, yeah, I'm going to uh, the Los Angeles Clippers with the uh, Kawhi Leonard. This move was wild to break down because mm-hmm. we applauded George last year for signing that contract yeah. extension. Uh, four years, $136 plus million. Yes. So the fact that we thought, because he was committed to winning the chip with Westbrook out in Oklahoma City, yeah. they still had some players. They were ready to go. And to see it fall apart just was mind-blowing Yeah, to see that this is now the situation, albeit, though, the Clippers gave up a ransom. They gave up the farm and then some holy sugar cookies. Uh, they gave up a this. These are the these are the picks they gave up. They gave up a 2021 unprotected pick from the Miami Heat. Uh, they gave up a 2022. They or excuse me, this is what they gained. I should say uh, 2021 unprotected pick from the Miami Heat. Uh, the, uh, 2022 unprotected pick from the Clippers, a 2023 top 14 protected pick from the Miami Heat, 2023 pick swap, a 2024 unprotected pick from the Clippers, a 2025 pick swap, and an unprotected pick in 2026 from the Los Angeles Clippers, along with uh, Shai Gilgis, Alexander, apologies if I butchered that name, and then Danilo Gallinari, all heading to one Oklahoma City. This was a huge move for the Clippers to pull Mm -hmm. off because giving up that many draft picks, you're going all in 
Yeah. And it's not a bad move. No. But it's just you had better make sure you bring home that chip to give up that much. Yeah. And obviously with Kawhi Leonard and now Paul George on that team, they have a, a huge chance to do it. I mean, without question. Because like we said, Paul George you know, committed last year, and we were applauding that he wanted to stay in Oklahoma City. And we didn't really hear about a ruffling of tension in the locker room no, that he could no, play there. No, And it was this was just kind of very surprising. And as we're hearing that the idea came to be about maybe getting him out of Oklahoma City to join over in the Clippers is a huge move. Right. I mean, it's, it's kind of like you said, we didn't hear anything about ruffling of feathers, you know, personalities not gelling. I mean, you, we, of course, we all remember the whole situation with Kevin Durant and the Warriors and what was, you know, what might or might not have been said behind closed doors and even in the media. You know, there wasn't anything like that. I mean, as, as the saying might go, you know, all quiet on the Midwestern front. Right. I mean, and you look at it. I mean, Paul George last season averaged 28 points a game with... Uh, eight rebounds also averaged eight rebounds a game and uh, four assists a game so a good season a good season but still just the fact that it flew under the radar and obviously how they exited the playoffs though yeah not the best way but to hear that the clippers went all in to pull them out Mm -hmm. or pull him out rather to bring him over is a huge move and if anything this is just a i mean to say this is a statement move, I, I don't think I'm using the right words. Right. This is just a definition. We're here. When we're taking over the West, mm-hmm. we're not backing down from your Golden States. Who, I, say, I say to quote Bray Wyatt, at least old Bray Wyatt, who knows if he does it these days, uh, Los Angeles, we're here. Yeah. And they definitely have stolen the, any thunder, no pun intended. Yeah. From the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, this was supposed to be the season of the Lakers, off-season of the Lakers. You know, LeBron's getting all the players he wants, and things are going his way, and he's changing numbers, and he's, you know, he's got Anthony Davis, he's got DeMarcus Cousins, he's got this, he's got that, and all of a sudden, nah, we're taking your thunder. Right, this absolutely took the headlines, and this made them arguably the favorite to win in the West, and I can't argue it right no. now. No, I mean, you look at their projected starting lineup, their projected starting lineup, if everything is goes the way it should, and there aren't any freak injuries between now and the start of the season, uh, their projected starting lineup would be Patrick Beverly at point guard, Landry Shamet at shooting guard, Kawhi Leonard at small forward, Paul George at power forward, and then Montre- Montrezel Harrell at center. Yeah, and you have Harkless off the bench, yeah, too. Yeah, and I mean, hello defense. Yeah, they're not going to let anybody score on them. I can't wait to see this unit against Golden State if in two years. Right. When Clay Thompson's healthy again. Right, yeah. That's what I want to see with this lineup. Yeah. Because who's going to be dropping 100 and whatever on them? Not too many teams. No. You might have an off night here and there. But looking at how this is structured, and now what's going on with Oklahoma City, that now they're entertaining offers for Russell Westbrook. Which almost makes me wonder, okay, they're off, they're entertaining offers for Russell Westbrook, and it even sounds like Russell Westbrook is even open to being traded. You know, We've heard some teams thrown out there that he might be interested in going to. But if you give up... If you got to give up seven picks and two players to get Paul George, who good player, you know, borderline great player, but to me isn't like you know he's not a superstar. He's not a superstar, and he's not a player that if I'm a GM of like you know some team that needs to do a rebuild, I'm not going. You know who we build around? Paul George. Like you, you might bring him in to facilitate a role, but to me, he's not a player you build around. If that's what they're giving up for Paul George, what in the world are you going to have to give up for for Russell Westbrook? Well, let me offer this scenario too before I get into this. What team do you think? is going to offer up 
a lot for Russell Westbrook. Well, I mean, the one that sticks out to me is is the New York Knicks to kind of wash the taste out of their mouth of the debacle that was the start of free agency. I agree. I think he's going to wind up being a Nick by the time it's all said and done. And he's going to give up the farm to do it. This is going to have shades of the Carmelo Anthony yeah. deal to get him out of Denver. This is going to – it's going to echo it. I cannot wait to hear Coach Duffy's reaction to this if this should ever happen. Yeah. But to get Russell Westbrook out of Oklahoma City and take their franchise guy out of that city is going to take a lot. Mm -hmm. Now, I've heard Miami is in the mix. Yeah. And that would make some sense, but do they have enough assets to move? Right. Maybe. I think there has to be another team involved. There, I think there would have to be, yeah. But to get Russell Westbrook out of Oklahoma City is going to cost some team greatly. Mm -hmm. Greatly. And like Pat was touching upon, I think he winds up going to New York. I think the PR nightmare that they are experiencing. Yeah, that hasn't stopped. Yeah, that hasn't quieted since Durant and Kyrie went to Brooklyn. And Summer League... A lot of question marks right now, and I know yeah. it's early, yeah. and I don't yeah. think it's I don't think it's extremely fair to judge R.J. Barrett about it right now. But there's a lot of chatter about right. how the Knicks are going to be this year. Right to get some spotlight back on the Knicks right now, and to really send a message: the free agents should come to New York. To get Westbrook there, I think, would be huge. I think he would definitely fit in. Oh, like, yeah. I think he would embrace New York City. New York City would embrace him. And just to see where he would go with that team, I mean, who knows? But I I think it would be a huge move. Even though, like on a rivalry standpoint, yeah. when Kevin Durant gets healthy, oh, yeah. having those two in the same division, oh, yeah. yeah. Be, oh yeah, be huge. I mean, the thing also too, looking back on kind of the the last decade or so of the Oklahoma City Thunder, it's kind of shocking to me that they had at one time they had obviously James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Russell Westbrook, no championships. Then James Harden left, so then you had Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, still no championships. And then you had Russell Westbrook by himself, and then you had Russell Westbrook with Paul George, no championships, and like what one NBA Finals trip. It's almost frightening to me that you had that level of talent and just never happened. Well, whoever does their uh, college scouting should be applauded. Oh, yeah. For for how they put that young team together. Oh, yeah. And it's one of those scenarios when you have that much talent, it's tough to keep everybody together, especially yeah. in a salary-capped age. And for Oklahoma City, I mean, they did have that shot at the finals against Miami yeah. early in their career. Right. To see that they never recaptured the magic. I mean, and plus they were so close to one year when Kevin Durant, his last year in Oklahoma City. Mm -hmm. To see that they didn't pull off a chip there, it was crazy. But to see that Westbrook now is probably going to be moving. I Probably. If he doesn't move now, he'll move before mid-December. I, I, I even think before the season. I think if you're going to move him. You have to do it before the season. Yeah, because it's going to get real awkward if he's not moved before the season because that's going to be a question that will not stop hounding both him and his teammates if he remains in Oklahoma City. Well, I, I think it's just something to your fan base, too, that he is your franchise guy. Yeah. So if you're going to move him, right? do it in the offseason because if you do it midseason, yeah. I fear the reaction would just be... Ugly is not a right word. It wouldn't be pretty. But it would be something negative that it just, I think just for fans that 
you know, have grown, have become Oklahoma City fans and just grown with the team. Right. So you're like, I keep reiterating, your franchise guy leaving. Yeah. It's like doing the offseason if you're going to do it, and then it'll kind of ease into the season as you go. But if they're contending, so to speak, because right. in the West, I obviously them losing Paul George is going to hurt, and depending on how the rest of the team shapes up after you know everything's all said and done with free agency, it's I, I don't see Oklahoma City ranking in the top echelon of the of the Western Conference. No, now. it'll be a down year for them for sure. Right. So if you're going to do it, you know, do the rebuild early, start it early, don't wait. I mean, obviously, and your fan base will understand this. I mean, to a degree, I don't think they're yeah. going to fully understand because. I never understand when franchise guys leave. Right. But I get it. It's a business, and obviously teams got to do what teams got to do, and it happens. But for Westbrook to leave Oklahoma City, and you're right, Pat, I mean, just looking at how their track record has been in the playoffs, they've been on the door so many times mm-hmm. to not pull off a chip. We'll say they've been the bridesmaid the bride, uh, bridesmaid how many times and not never the bride. Right. To see that this could possibly be the end of that run – it's bitter. It's just kind of a bittersweet thing. Yeah. That is just like they've done so much and they've established so many young stars there, but to see them never get a chip is, is I mean, it's, 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 it's almost a crime. Yeah, no. And it's one of those wild things of like, okay, you had a fan base that was, you know, that when the uh, New Orleans then Hornets were playing there after the, what happened with Hurricane Katrina and just how much the NBA realized, oh, this this area really wants a team. Yeah. And then obviously you had the whole mess with them leaving Seattle and that's a whole other ball of wax. But just, you know, the reputation that fan base is very quickly established as being one of, if not the loudest places in the NBA to play. We're like you can't hear yourself on any given night when they're they're into it and they're chanting. For that fan base to just kind of like, all right, we're loud, we're here, you know, we're making our presence known to like not get anything out of it. It's it's kind of sad. It definitely is. And like I said, it, it's like bittersweet might not be the right word I'm trying to say, but it's just it's it's a shame that a fan base is that passionate that lucked into a franchise. Yeah. That they just never got a championship to them as of as it stands right now. But I would say this: I know we say trust the process with Philly. I would trust the process with Oklahoma City. Like we said, they have drafted a lot of young stars, and they just have to find the right way to make them work and all to come together. Because yeah. I think they'll contend sooner than later. And I think that definitely for a fan base like that, like we've seen with Toronto, it just takes one player to step in and really mm-hmm. change that culture. I think the same thing could be said for Oklahoma City if Westbrook does move, if you can't get him any help. Well, so if they can't get anything great out of those seven picks, that's, that's going to be borderline insane. Oh, absolutely. But for the Clippers to give up the farm to go get them, Oof. it's a gutsy move. Oh, yeah, it is. But I applaud them for doing it because if you know this is your guy and this is the one Kawhi Leonard wanted to play with and this is who he, he wanted. And like I said, for him, it's not that he needed to go get a superstar. Right. Because like I said, it's nothing against Paul George's game. Paul George is a great player, but do you consider him on like the Durant level? Do you no. consider him on the LeBron level? I mean, it just depends on how you rank him. But he's a great player that's going to add the he's the missing piece of what they need in the Clippers. It almost reminds me kind of like when when Jordan and the Bulls were on their run. Okay, yes, you know Dennis Rodman, Scottie Pippen, all both great players, but like to, to me, they're not on the same level as Jordan. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know I might have arguments with people on that, but that's just kind of how I feel about it. I kind of view. Uh, Paul George joining Kawhi Leonard is the same thing. Kawhi Leonard's a great player. He's a you know, superstar player. Paul George, great player, but he's not on the same level, at least, you know, where I'd evaluate him. 
you know, in the echelon of great players, elite players, what have you, as being on the same level. I kind of view it as they're kind of the same thing. Yeah, it can definitely be made for an argument. And I think, though, for him going to L.A., he's the missing piece they need. Yeah. And I think that whoever pulled this deal together and thought about bringing Kawhi and Paul George together, they obviously know what they're doing. And this team, I'm telling you right now, should be in the NBA Finals if they all stay healthy. Yeah. If they all stay healthy. Yeah, because like we said, you know, weeks prior, the West is wide open. Golden State ain't going to get there this year. They will get back there, you know, the year after or maybe two years down the road, but they're not getting there this year with Durant gone, Clay Thompson probably done for the year. You know, there's obviously the whole he could come back at a point, you know, later in the season, but I don't think he will. You know, you look at everything else in the West Coast, okay, yeah, the Lakers are their biggest threat, but. I see the, the the Clippers being at least better than the Lakers right now on paper. Well, we don't know where we're going to get out of the Lakers either. That's they're, true. They're, they're talking about moving uh, LeBron to point guard. We'll say they're finally doing what every player who's played NBA 2K has ever done. Yeah, which is going to be a lot to ask about him at this stage in his career. Which kind of begs the question, okay, if they're going to move into point guard, why in the world did you bring back Rondo? A lot of questions. Like I said, there's a lot of question marks you can ask about the yeah. Lakers right now yeah. and just how they're reacting to the move of the Clippers because the Clippers now sent that message that we're going to oh, contend. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So what's everybody else doing? New Orleans is going to be a team on the rise out there. Oh, yeah. Phoenix, we never know what we're going to get from them. Sacramento could be a, a little team under the radar, so too. Port- Portland, Denver. Portland, Denver. Denver is going to be good. Utah is going to be good, too. I mean, the West is going to be something scary this year, and especially with Dallas, too. Mm-hmm. There are so many teams. I mean, I can't wait to get into the season preview when we do because I want to see how everybody's shaping up after Summer League. That's going to be the true talent point. But let us know what you think, though, of the big Paul George deal. We want to know. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What do you think about the move for him going to the Clippers? What do you think about Russell Westbrook? Where should he go? Should he go to the Knicks? Should he go to Miami? Should he stay put? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Jimmy Gazdick from Crimson Brethren and Floodlands, and you're listening to ODPH. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH, and man, was there ever a fight card this weekend. Oh my God. UFC 239 lived up to the billing. We were watching with our buddies over at Three Fat Nerds at their studios, and I tell you what, folks, if you missed this card, you need to rewatch it any mm-hmm. way, shape you can, because mm-hmm. this delivered on so many levels. I'll say, if I'm not mistaken, if you have ESPN Plus, uh, the fight cards after a certain period of time, a couple of weeks or maybe a month or so, they get added to ESPN Plus so that you can go back and watch them. If you're an ESPN Plus subscriber, look out, look out for that, because I'm almost positive that's how it works. Yes, because this had to be one of the best fight cards they've done all year. Yeah, and yeah. I, I tell you what, we're gonna break down the main card. Pat, kick us off here. All right, so the main card, uh, you started off with Michael Chiesa defeating Diego Sanchez uh, by unanimous decision in the welterweight division. So Diego at this stage, I don't want to say he's he's on that back end of the career, but let's be honest. His skill set, he's not getting crazy knocked out, no. but it's he's on that end of father time. And, and Chiesa... I tell you what, him at 170 is going to be a problem yeah, for I mean, a lot of people. I mean, you bring up my Diego Sanchez. His first professional fight was way back in uh, June 21st of 2002. So the man has been fighting now for you know just over 17 years. I mean, I'm not saying it's time to hang up, but you know you might want to think about it at the end of your contract. Well, one thing I think that they should do with him. I mean, obviously he took the loss, and I don't see him making a run for the belt at the stage. No. 
One thing I, I would love to see at 155, and I know he'd do the weight cut, and I, for the life of me, I can never understood why they didn't do the immediate rematch or rematch earlier, is the fight that got inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame. Mm, yeah. Him versus Clay Guida. Yeah. Why they don't do that fight at 155, just run it back one more time, it, I think that would be a perfect next step for him. I truly do. At this stage, Diego, I mean, his skills are slowing down. And just Chiesa just looked huge, too, at 170. Yeah. Which, for him and his wrestling skills and grappling skills, like I said, he's going to be a problem. I'm not sure where he goes next, but I tell you what, I'd be very, very wearisome mm-hmm. if I'm his next opponent because he looks like he's on that level and he's going to be making a run. Well, so, yeah, Chiesa's uh, last two fights, obviously, he beat Diego Sanchez, he beat Carlos Conda, and then he lost to Anthony Pettis and Kevin Lee. So, I mean, he's making a rise in the welterweight division. Obviously, you got Kamaru Usman, and then Tyrone Woodley is the number one contender, you know, with Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal, which, I mean, we'll get to him in a minute. My God. Yeah. You know, but... You know, Chiesa definitely making some waves in welterweight. Yes. So where he goes from here, anybody's guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, you had a light heavyweight matchup between Jan Blaskovitz and Luke Rockhold making his light heavyweight debut. Uh, Jan Blaskovitz defeated Luke Rockhold uh, by knockout in the, the second round. Blaskovitz should get a title shot if it all pans out. But he hit Rockhold with a right. He broke his jaw. Mm-hmm. Rockhold at this stage of the career, listen, I, I'm not saying he should hang it up, but I think at this stage, this is also another bad knockout he's taken. Mm-hmm. This is something he has other stuff he could fall back on if he wants to. Yeah. He might want to consider it because all we've been hearing from him is he's been talking about going up to light heavyweight. He was going to fight John Jones. In fact, I think there was a little trash talk he was trying to give John yeah. out the gate. Which yeah, I mean, John, to be fair, John kind of responded to it, but then John also responded to like eight other people. Right. So, obviously, we said going into this fight, Rockhold was already looking past uh, yeah. Blackwish there. Right. I mean, and Rockhold's got some great good wins on his career. I mean, he beat Chris Weidman, Leonardo Machida, Michael Bisping, Tim Boach. But this is his second loss in a row. Uh, he his, uh, Before this, he lost to Yoel Romero back at UFC 221 in February of last year. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure Romero is the one who broke his jaw the first time. Yeah. So at this stage, Rockhold, I, I, I don't really know if there's a good direction he should go in. But at this stage, if you've had your jaw broken twice in the past year or so, if that's been the case, because I know it's broken now, mm-hmm. maybe it's time to you know fall back on some other endeavors. Yeah. yeah. And like I said, for Yan, it's a huge step up for him. Yeah. And I, for a division that doesn't really have a clear cut number one contender at two hundred five right now, I would say if John wants to fight him. Uh-huh. He should get the title shot. Well, I mean, I'm looking at UFC.com and there at slash rankings, and this is, of course, the official UFC rankings. John Jones is, of course, the champion. Number one contender right now is Daniel Cormier, but that's not going to happen. I don't, right. know, I don't know why he's still there, but, you know. Uh, number two is Tiago Santos, which obviously John just beat him, so, you know, he would pr- presumably drop in the rankings a little bit. Uh, Do- Anthony Smith is ranked number three. Uh, Dominic Reyes is number four. And then uh, Jan Blaskovitz is bumped up to number five now. So maybe? I don't know. Maybe. It would make a lot of sense to a certain degree, but – 205 is kind of wide open right now yeah. for everybody that John's faced. And, I mean, we'll get into John just a little bit later in the segment. But I think if he, John wants to do another title shot, 
um, Blackowitz is the guy to do it against. Mm-hmm. And I think that that would make a lot of sense unless you want to set up a little mini tourney, which we'll get into a little later. Because uh-huh. I, I, I kind of have a kind of crazy idea about it. Okay. But let's get into the fight of the night as I predicted. Oh, my Lord. But I did not predict this ending by any means. Uh, I think the only people who had this uh, happening this way was uh, the folks in the winner's camp. Uh, You had the welterweight matchup between Jorge Masvidal versus Ben Askren. The trash talking between these two that was leading up to the fight since it was announced was otherworldly. You know, you can go back and look up some of the videos and, and articles about it. My God. But uh, Jorge Masvidal defeated Ben Askren with a jumping knee five seconds into the first round, making it the fastest knockout in UFC and potentially MMA history. Yeah, I, five seconds is... Uh, and it would have been, and I go with what Joe Rogan said, it would have been faster, but the ref took a little bit longer than he probably should have to get over there. Right, this was a two-second knockout, in my opinion, and Askren was very predictable mm-hmm. and how Masvidal played this. He was against the cage, had his hands behind his back, and he was kind of like waiting. And he knew that Askren was going to shoot. Askren is known for his wrestling. He's a one-trick pony. But he's a great one-trick pony, though. He has been undefeated wherever he's gone, and mm-hmm. he wrestles you to the ground. He's not going to stand and strike with you. So when he saw Masvidal coming for him, Masvidal ran at him and hit him with a flying knee in the face. And this wasn't a split-second decision like, oh, I'm just going to... No, they were planning for this. They were training for this. Yeah, we've seen footage. It's been posted online that they've been practicing for 48 hours prior to this is how they're going to come out. Did I? But Masvidal said that he wasn't planning on knocking him out with that shot, but just to warn him about shooting on him for a takedown. But obviously, he hit him with that knee, knocked him out cold. Yeah. Cold. And he did hit him with some shots after. Yeah. Now, Pat, I'll ask you this question because I have my opinions about this. Do you think that he should have been throwing those shots? Uh, no. But I kind of, given the the heated rivalry and and even now as we record a couple days after the fight, how nasty it's been to the point where Masvidal has told Askren, "Listen, if I see you in Whole Foods trying to eat any healthy food, I'm going to knock it out of your hands." Like the fight is over. Like they're they're potentially. There might be a rematch just because it was five seconds, but like right now, there really shouldn't be any trash talking. But they're still trash talking each other. Well, to a certain degree, I think I actually agree with Masvidal on this one. The ref didn't stop, and we know until there's a ref stoppage, yeah. you should keep going. Oh yeah. Now, this has happened before. This happened with Dan Henderson landing a shot on Bisping after he knocked him out cold. Yeah. You can understand this is the fighting game and this happens. Yeah. Is it the best look per se? No, but it's completely legal. It wasn't a dirty shot. Right. It's just, and Masvidal had a point because in the post fight in the backstage presser, not in the cage, but in the backstage presser, he made a very good point. I'll kind of paraphrase a little what he was saying. When you have somebody trash talking and talking about family and culture Mm -hmm. and and such, where do you draw the line of like, okay, I'm going to hit you in a fight. I'm still hitting you because the ref hasn't stopped it. Yeah. Like I'm I'm supposed to be a bad guy for doing it after you said all this. He makes a valid point. No, he does, and, and they, you know it's it's conversations we've had where you don't want to stop until the ref says it's over because as bad as it might look, you don't want to take that risk of you know the guy snapping two and coming to and swinging up at you and getting a lucky shot off you and he drops you. Yeah, you know you want to go until the ref says so. 
But and at the same token, I understand where he's coming from because personally, if it were me, I draw the line of family. Like you can talk about me and you can talk if I'm a fighter, you can talk about me and you can say I'm trash. I'm awful. I don't know what I'm doing on this. Side, you know, that's fine. You can do that till you're blue in the face. The instant you br- if you bring family into it, that's where I draw the line. Right. And this is a precedent that Conor McGregor has set because he goes all in on people, too. Oh, yeah. And this is where Habib was jumping in and saying this is where it caused the whole issue there. Yeah, that if if that's the case that Connor does, because I I and if I'm wrong about that, I do apologize. But that's why I kind of heard that Habib was saying he was Connor was taking shots there. But Connor Connor just shows no no wall there, and he just goes after everybody and says what he wants. Askren did trash talk, and he trash talks everybody. So if but if you do cross a line like that, and like I said, if Connor had done that, then Connor gets what Connor gets. If Askren did that, then Askren got what Askren got. And Askren, in every post-fight that I've seen him do, post-fight interview, rather, he has been very humble in his defeat, and he's yeah. not complained about it, and he's not said one one thing. He just said, well, I lost, and Masvidal was the better man, and you know, he's owned up to it. He hasn't ducked it, which I, which I applaud him for. But like I said, Masvidal was answering that question. He's like, if he's talking about my family, he's talking about this. Yeah. I have no no grounds with that. And one thing I know when I've talked with the uh, common man, Vince Ciotoli from Crow's Nest MMA here locally, he's saying Masvidal is not that guy you play around with and do that stuff no. with by any means. And you could tell by that post-fight presser he did after. Askren and him just should kind of avoid each other moving forward. Yeah, probably a smart idea. Yeah. For Askren, where he goes from here, you know what? Anybody, it's any guess where you can go. I mean, this is one loss. At first time in his career, does would he do a rematch or a fight against Darren Till? That would make some sense. Um, but for Masvidal, it's hard not to give him a title shot after this. Right. I mean, I know Usman is the champion. Yep. He's waiting on the Covington Lawler fight fallout because that's going to have a huge impact. And that takes place August third uh, from the Prudential Center in Jersey. Right. Because if Covington wins, you have to make Covington Usman. Yeah. You have to. If Robbie Lawler wins, you have to make Masvidal versus Usman. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, I'm looking at the rankings on UFC.com. Robbie Lawler is currently ranked number 10 in the welterweight division. Okay, yeah, great. You beat If he potentially beats Colby Covington, great. You beat the number two ranked guy. That doesn't mean you automatically get a title shot. You could give it to him on his pedigree, yeah. like if you wanted to, but, but it wouldn't make a lot of sense. No. At least in my opinion, no. But Robbie is that guy that you know he'll—he's almost a Cerrone-like fighter that you just tell him when to show up and he shows up and he'll be there. He—he he, in fact, he even wants a rematch with Askren too. Which that one I—I I understand. I'd be okay with that oh, as yeah. well. Yeah. And I think obviously if you threw him that fight instead, sure. And like I said, Masvidal has done enough. And if you take a look at his record, he's been on a tear, and he is that guy. And I mm-hmm. tell you what, I am hoping it is him versus Usman. And I will tell you this. We talk a lot about chicklets are going to fly and teeth are going to get knocked out and there's going to be blood everywhere and just, you know, Mm -hmm. that whole mess. That fight is going to be just a straight-up battle that is going to be just, I don't want to say barbaric, but it's going to be violent as all blazes. Oh yeah. It's going to be incredible. Like it's going to be a tremendous performance on two of the best strikers in all of MMA going at it and they throw hard and it's going to be incredible if they can pull that fight off cuz that's just a dream fight for MMA fans. Mm-hmm. And we get to the co-main event speaking of great fights uh-huh. and they're, they're dream fights too. Yep. 
Amanda Nunez champ, ver- champ. versus Holly Holm. Mm-hmm. And how did this one end up, Pat? Uh, Amanda Nunez knocked Holly Holm out with a head kick and punches uh, in the first round. Amanda Nunez uh, uh, adding another name to her legend killer status. Nunez, you have to make the argument now. Is she the goat of women's MMA? Uh, for this point in time, yes. You take a look at her track record and who she's beaten. Mm-hmm. She's beaten Ronda Rousey. Yep. She's beaten Cyborg. Yep. She's beaten Holly Holm. Valentina Shevchenko, twice. Yeah. You take a look at that pedigree. You you can't make an argument otherwise. Yeah. I mean, she has beaten everybody they've thrown at her. I'll say her only loss in the UFC. Now she's obviously she's got four losses on her mixed martial arts record, but in the UFC, uh, her only loss was to Kat Zingano back in UFC 178 in 2014, and that was that she got knocked out. Outside that, she's beat Shayna Baszler, Sarah McMahon, Valentina Shevchenko twice, Misha Tate, Ronda Rousey, Raquel Pennington, Chris Cyborg, and Holly Holm. Like, if you're even a casual MMA fan, that's a who's who of women fighters from, like, the last five years. Yeah, there's no question. Nunez is the GOAT yeah. of the division. There's, you can't you can't argue it. I mean, just look at the name she's beaten. She's beaten him outright. Yeah. Hasn't been any real, like, crazy decisions gone back and forth. And this one, too, she hit Holly with a head kick, and then Holly did not answer about three strikes on the ground. Yeah. So for anybody that's saying there was an early stoppage or any question of that, no. It wasn't. I'm saying I'm looking at her record. I got to give Valentina Shevchenko a little bit of credit here. Uh, and during uh, her t- uh, Amanda Nunez's time in the UFC, she uh, Valentina Shevchenko is the only one to take her to decision twice. Everything else is a, either a knockout or a submission. Yeah, Shevchenko would make a lot of sense if they want to try making a trilogy fight for Nunez moving forward. I don't know where they're going to go with this. I know Cyborg has another fight scheduled coming up. Mm-hmm. very shortly, and I think if Cyborg wins that, then you have to book Cyborg and Nunez in a rematch, and you have to make that one happen. Because honestly, at this stage, who is a name that's jumping out that's that's ready for Nunez? I mean, I'm looking at the bantamweight division, and obviously Amanda Nunez is champ. Uh, you know, you've got Jermaine DeRadamy. If I pronounce that right, uh, if I didn't, I'm I'm sorry. Uh, then you've got Ketlin Vieira as number two. After that, it's Holly Holm. And then you've got Aspen Ladd, Raquel Pennington, and Kat Zingano at number six. Yeah, so, I mean, this is a really interesting time for Nunez. And like I said, for her, I think it makes a lot of sense to fight Cyborg again. And yeah. I think if Cyborg gets past her next opponent, you make that fight happen. Then I, I understand, though, it might be a contract issue if they don't yeah. pull that one off. Yeah. I can't remember if Cyborg has one more fight after this scheduled or not, or this is it. So either way, Nunez has a lot to look forward to down the road, and who's going to be the next contender to step up against her is anybody's guess. Mm-hmm. Now we get to the main event. I'll say, you, you always talk about a spirit test in wrestling. Uh, this was a spirit test in MMA if I've ever seen one. Uh, it was for the light heavyweight championship uh, between John Jones, uh, who was the champion, and Tiago Santos, who was the challenger, and John Jones were Tained his championship by split decision. But that is not the main story, ladies and gentlemen. We watching the fight, and I'm sure any of you at home who were watching the fight, because they pointed this out plenty of times on the broadcast, uh, pointed out there was something wrong with Tiago Santos's knee. Mm-hmm. That, and it looked real obvious something was wrong. But to my knowledge, they never said uh, when Joe Rogan interviewed him after the fight what was wrong. We quickly found out on Monday what was wrong with his knee as he suffered an ACL, MCL, PCL and meniscus tear in his knee. Uh, if you're not, you know, medically trained or don't know that much about knees, that's every ligament you have in your knee. 
And he did it before the fight, too? Uh-huh. And he fought five rounds at five minutes apiece, 25 minutes on a uh, done knee. Like, there's nothing there. And he was kicking with it, too. Uh-huh. That's, that, uh-huh. that is a true telling sign. Santos knew the gravity of the situation. Oh, and by the way, suffice it to say, he's out for the rest of the year. Oh, yeah. He, he's going to be gone for a while. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not even going to say where he goes from here. But looking at this fight, too, and this was a little bit of controversy, too, because John got the split decision. Mm-hmm. One judge did award the fight to Santos. Yep. Now, I did judge this on OD Parlay Hour on Twitter. So if you're not following on Fight Nights, I usually try doing my best fight card on there. I had John winning this one, but where the fight came close, and this is where I think the fight was decided, round one went to Santos. And you can't argue that. He definitely was landing more shots, and he was putting a lot more pressure on John. Round two was very close, and I think that this is the fight that decided, or this is the round that decided the fight. John was in this one, and I gave John the nod, but this one was close, and I could see a judge awarding it to Santos because this one didn't have a ton of action per se, but they were going enough back and forth that you could make an argument for either fighter. You get into rounds three and four, and that was all Jones. All Jones. And this is when Santos was really struggling to stay on his feet because of his knee. And we had no idea what the injury was. But at the same time, Santos was also landing leg kicks on John with the bad leg. So then we get to round five, and I actually awarded that to Santos. Right. So this is where it kind of gets in debate of, okay, who won the fight where? Uh Uh-huh. But on my scorecard, I mean, John won two, three, and four. But you can make the argument about round two. Right. And I've got the official uh, scorecard from the Nevada State Athletic Commission here in front of me. It comes uh, courtesy of Tap, Nap, Snap on Facebook. Uh, uh, judge, or excuse me, judge Mike Bell scored uh, round one to Tiago Santos, 10-9. Uh, rounds two, three, and four to John at 10-9. And then he gave uh, the round five to Tiago Santos at 10-9, uh, bringing his final score 48-47 John Jones. Uh, and then uh, Judge Derek Clear, Clear, Clearly, Cleary, excuse me, can't talk, uh, scored round one, 10-9 to Tiago Santos, uh, round two and three, 10-9 to John Jones, round four, 10-9 to uh, Tiago Santos, and then round five, 10-9 to John Jones, bringing his score to 48-47. Uh, and, then ju- and then the final judge, who I can't read, unfortunately read their name because part of it, uh, the marker that's written on it is written into the name, so apologies. But they uh, scored rounds one and two to Tiago Santos, 10-9. Round three, 10-9 to John Jones. Round four, 10-9 to Tiago Santos. And then round five, 10-9 to John Jones, bringing the final score 48-47 to Tiago Santos. It's interesting to see how they judge that. There's no way I would give round four to Santos. Right. And, and I mean, it, it's like we've said, and it's like any MMA fan will tell you, if you are a challenger looking to win a belt, I don't care what belt it is, what division it is, whether you're male or female, don't put it in the judge's hands. Yeah, you can't. You never know what they're watching. Because unless it's like a dominating fight, but you just, for whatever reason, can't submit your opponent or can't knock them out, unless it's a dominating fight where you are pressing them for 25 minutes and you're just beating the holy hell out of them for 25 minutes, unless it's something like that, don't leave any doubt in the mind. Knock them out. Submit them. Whatever you got to do. Right. And this is where it, it really depends on what you want to call the fight for being. 
because this one, John was very tested. Yeah. He was very tested. I'll in say, this if one. I'm not mistaken, uh, there was video after he went to leave the arena where he was actually in a wheelchair. Yeah. Because Santos was nailing him with those leg kicks. Oh, yeah. And you can't argue that. And this is where it was very interesting to see that John was tested against somebody that maybe he took a little too lightly. Like, this seemed like this whole fight, he was kind of a little lackluster about getting into and really not jumping in and right. really excited about it. So, that being said, though, John was tested. He weathered the storm. He is still arguably the goat of mm-hmm. men's MMA. Mm-hmm. Now the question is, where do you go moving forward? That's Again, that's the question we have after every time he defeats a guy, and I just have no idea because I'm looking at the rankings. Uh, as I mentioned before, Daniel Cormier is listed number one, but that's not happening. Uh, Tiago Santos is listed number two, and as much as I would like to see a rematch before these folks, uh, Tiago Santos's one knee is blown apart. He's not fighting you know, for at least a year. So we're looking at the end of next year before we're even, you know, entertaining the idea of a rematch. Uh, number three is Anthony Smith. He's beaten him. Uh, number four is Dominic Reyes, who, if I'm not mistaken, I don't believe John's fought him. No. Uh, number five is Jan Blaskovitz, who, again, he hasn't fought him either. Number six is Alexander Gustafson, which he's beat him twice. Uh, you've got Volkan Ozmedir at number seven, Corey Anderson at number eight, Ilir Latifi at number nine, and Glover Teixeira at number ten. So this is where my idea is, because John was on Twitter this past week, and he was asking fans, okay, who should I fight next? And there was talk of, a lot of names were getting thrown, but the major talk one was moving up to heavyweight. Okay. And alluding to he would fight the winner of Cormier Miosic. Now, he didn't come out and say it, but he was definitely seeming like he was retweeting and entertaining that one Mm -hmm. a little more to the fans. Sure. I don't know if, per se, that one is on the the roster or, or on the radar, so to speak, but that would make a lot of sense in this scenario. Sure. Because as we had already broke down the, the top 10 rankings for the light heavyweight division. He's beaten all but like three or four of them. He's beaten a good majority of them. Dominic Reyes is currently undefeated. Right. But I don't think he's ready yet. He hasn't fought um, Blackowitz there. So... He can go, and obviously uh, Jan has made a statement that he could be worthy of a title shot. But my idea for this one is I think they should put together a somewhat mini light heavyweight tournament. Mm -hmm. I think that they should pair Alexander Ragic against Johnny Walker. Okay. And I think you pair uh, Blackowitz against Dominic Reyes. You let those two fight, and the other two fight. Winner fights the other. That winner gets John. Now, you're probably saying, okay, well, if they're doing that, what's John doing in the meantime? Yeah. I think John should go up to heavyweight, and I think he should entertain a fight in the heavyweight top 10. Now, if you want to put him in against the winner of Cormier Miosic, I wouldn't argue it. His pedigree is dessert, kind of skips right. over the line. Right. I get it. But I kind of refer to this as when Anderson Silva moved up to 205 to take a couple fights mm-hmm. after he's cleaned out 185. Yeah. And I believe he fought Forrest Griffin and ran through him, even though there's, you know, that fight's a whole different ballgame there. This would be a fight I think John should step up and fight somebody at, two, at the heavyweight division. Take a fight up there in the meantime, because your division, there's really nobody jumping down there unless you want to fight Blackowitz. If you want to fight him, that would make sense. Yeah. But I don't know if John was 
per se. And I, I think the, you look at some of the up-and-comers in that division, like Johnny Walker and Dominic Reyes, I still think those guys are a fight or two away. I don't mm-hmm. I don't think they're ready right now. Right. And and John's talked about moving up to heavyweight to fight a heavyweight fight. And obviously the big one for, you know, a hot month or so was Brock Lesnar. Well, Brock Lesnar's done with the UFC. Like that ain't happening. You know, he's he's talked about and he's hinted at wanting a third fight against Daniel Cormier, but at the same token, he said, Listen, if I'm gonna fight Daniel Cormier, you're coming down to me. I'm not going up to you. Which is another interesting factor because I don't see Cormier coming back down, and no. why should he? No, like for me, and I, I am not sold on the love affair of seeing Cormier fight Jones again. I, I, I don't like. Would I watch it? Sure, but am I like amped up to watch it? No, I'd much rather watch him fight Francis Ngannou. That's the fight I want to see John have. I, I think the thing they ought to do, and this might be the thing that make it makes it easy for whoever the second party is involved. If you can maybe get somebody at middleweight or somebody at heavyweight, whoever it ends up being, have a catchweight fight. Not for the belt. Just, oh, you're fighting John Jones, one of the greatest, if not the greatest MMA fighters of all time. You know, if you beat him, it's a feather in your cap. It really pushes your stock in the company with with how good you're doing. And you knocked out John Jones. You're the first legitimate loss in his career. I think you do that. Whoever it ends up being, somebody comes up from middleweight, somebody comes down from heavyweight, do a catchweight fight. It would make a lot of sense to do that, and I wouldn't mind seeing that. I just don't know who you're going to have jump up and, and, and do what. I know Stylebender has been mentioned in that equation too. Yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of names in the middleweight division that you could do. You mentioned Style Stylebender, uh, Yoel Romero's down there, Calvin Gastelum's down there, Jacare's down there, Chris Weidman's down there, Derek Brunson. I mean, also at heavyweight, you've got Stipe Miocic, like we mentioned, uh, Francis Ngannou, Junior Dos Santos, Curtis Blades, Derek Lewis, Alistair Overeem, Cain Velasquez. Like, there's plenty of names there too. There definitely is. I mean, on a, on a storyline level, if we're going to talk like a WWE type thing, I'd love to see him fight Kane Velasquez. That'd be awesome. You know, depending on what how what kind of shape Kane's knee is in, and 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 moving forward with that. I mean, that's always been a dream fight for me. But for this one, I could definitely see him fighting Ngannou. I mean, I don't know if they would do a catchweight or John would have to move completely up. Right. But I think that fight would make a lot of sense. And looking at the rankings too, a Yoel Romero stepping up yeah. to, to two hundred five would be a good fight too. It just really depends on where they want to go with it. I mean, there's so many open-ended doors for John to take his you know, title and, and defend it against if he wants to. The heavyweight move makes a, t- a lot of sense because, like I said, you've cleared out that division, and there's only a couple contenders currently right now yeah. at 205 that make sense. And it all really depends on what John wants to do. If John wants to stay at 205 and make challengers come to him, I understand that. Yeah. And like I said, you have some guys in the, in the rankings – that are just a fight or two away. Reyes and Walker are two names that jump out right now. But are they ready for a title shot? Debatable. Really debatable. But moving forward, though, this fight card left in definite impact Mm -hmm. on MMA fans right now. There's a lot of talk. There's some stars that were made. The Masvidal knee is going to be shown in highlights forever. I will say the the highlight of that got posted to the MMA subreddit on uh, reddit.com, and that post had a rocket strap to it and was the highest post on Reddit for a good 12-plus hours. It went up faster than I ever saw. Yeah, but this fight card was definitely worth watching and definitely a lot of ramifications coming out of this one. But hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPH. Join in the conversation on our social media accounts. You can find them at OchoDuroParleyHour.com. What was your take on UFC 239? What was your favorite fight? What do you think is next for Nunez and John Jones and Masvidal? We want to know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. 
The ODPH is proud sponsors of Robocon 2019, happening September 28th and 29th. Don't miss out on Binghamton, New York's biggest sci-fi, fantasy, and gaming convention of the year. For badge details and more info, check out robocon.org. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH. Pad, what about that local minute? Oh, local minute, of course, we got to talk a little Binghamton Rumble Ponies news. Uh, as we record, they are in a little bit of an off period because they have the uh, Eastern League All-Star Game coming up on Wednesday, uh, July 10th, uh, that taking place at 7.05 in Richmond, Virginia. So if you're uh, in the Richmond, Virginia area and you want to check out some great minor league baseball players, uh, definitely check that out. But as for their, uh, their previous games they had leading up to that, they lost a three-game series against Erie, uh, and then they uh, won a game against Akron, lost another lost one, and then won the remaining two to win that series 3-1. to one. Uh, When they get back from the All-Star break, uh, they have right day after, they've got a four-game set against Portland and the Sea Dogs before returning home on July 15th to play a three-game series against Reading. For more information, times, and everything else you need to know, bingrp.com. Definitely supporting some baseball and going into the round in our bases right mm-hmm. here. We have to talk about a little local connection here. A little local connection because, uh, as as everyone knows, uh, last night as we record was my favorite thing of MLB All-Star Week, uh, the Home Run Derby, because you never know what you're going to see, and my God was last night the best one I think I've ever seen. Uh, took a little bit of a damper because Christian Yelich was supposed to be in it, of course, the reigning NL MVP winner, but because of some back issues, he was not able to uh, participate, but it it still lived up to the billing uh, round course uh, on the line this year was a million dollars. And for a lot of players that was easily going to, you know, bump up anything they made this year because they got a low salary. Uh, but kind of the big headline was uh, Vladimir Guerrero jr. Of course, the son of MLB hall of famer, Vladimir Guerrero senior played a lot of years for the Expos and then uh, the Anaheim angels and other, you know, a whole bunch of other teams uh, came out. And in the first round broke Josh Hamilton's record from, I believe it was 2007 when it was uh, the last year, of the old Yankee stadium, uh, and a record of 28 home runs in a round, and he hit 29 home runs. Uh, he then followed up uh, that round uh, with uh, advancing, and then also Jock Peterson of the Dodgers advanced, along with Peter Alonzo of the New York Mets and uh, Acuna Jr. of the Atlanta Braves advancing. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero followed up that round with one of, you know, you know, not one of, the best round of a home run derby I've ever seen in my life. Now, I've been a little critical in recent years because I'm a fan of the old style they used to do it where you get 10 outs and then you, I, I didn't, you know, kind of enjoy the whole time system because I thought it was a little hokey and a little weird because of some of the rules they've employed. But you know what? I'm willing to put that in the past because this was the best round of a home run derby I've ever seen. Uh, Guerrero Jr. came out in the second round and promptly we thought he broke his own record because they were saying 30 and then they they changed it and took one away from him. So he tied his record. So it's like, oh, huh, good luck, Jock Peterson. No tall order. You got to, you know match if not beat the single round home run record uh he tied it and came back with 29 and of course the way it works now is instead of 10 outs you have four minutes to hit as many home runs as you can and then you're i think you're supposed to wait until the ball lands but they were kind of bending the rules a little bit which i'm fine with it was exciting stuff yeah it definitely was must watch tv i I have to say the home run derby has always been a captivating event Mm -hmm. of the all-star weekend yeah and this was no exception, and yeah. this one glued to the TV. Especially, mm-hmm. we've had the opportunity to see Vlad Guerrero Jr. play down here yeah. against Binghamton. Yeah, 
But we also saw the winner of the home run derby yeah. play a couple seasons down here. Yeah, so that was that being one Peter Alonso. But the nutty thing back to Guerrero was he has the twenty nine home runs, and then so they're tied. All right, well we can't have them both. At, you know, I was you know I really wish they would have just sorry. You know what? Both of you go to the finals. We'll have three men in this thing. Would have been good on my part. But so they come back with that. And they're like, all right, so they're tied. Then they go into a one minute kind of. You got one minute. Hit as many as you can. Well, so then Vlad Guerrero Jr. comes back and hits eight home runs. And then, all right, no tall order, you know, Peterson's got to do that. And 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 I'm sitting here thinking, all right, this works more in Vlag Jr.'s favor because he had to sit there and watch Jock Peterson hit his home runs. Peterson just swung. No, Peterson came through in the clutch and tied him. So then we go into the swing off. They get three swings apiece. If you don't hit a home run, it don't count. You get an out. So Vlad, they, so they go through the first swing off. Mulligan, they, they're still tied. Let's do it all again. So then they come through, and Vlad Jr. You know, ends up with 40 home runs in the round, which I don't think that's a record that'll ever be broken. No way. And Jock Peterson finishes with 39. Uh, switching to the other side of the bracket, Peter Alonzo, which this was the wild thing, uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. of the Braves, by the time he gets up to bat, he hadn't swung a bat in like an hour, mm-hmm. they said, because of all the craziness with Vlad Jr. and Jock Peterson. But Peter Alonzo edges out uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. with 20 home runs to his 19. So then you get to the finals, and it's like, all right, you know, you kind of think of the past with Josh Hamilton and other players who have hit a monster amount of home runs. They get to the final round. Ah, they're a little tired. They're not going to be able to do much. No, Vlad Jr. comes back and hits 22 home runs. So it's like, all right, no tall task. You got to, you know, Pete, you got to hit 20. You got to hit 22 or 23. He comes back and hits 23, winning the uh, 2019 home run derby, winning the million dollars, donating a portion of it to wounded warriors, donating another portion of it to a uh, fundraising charity down in New York City called Tunnels two towers two great charities to donate to but a little local connection pete alonzo won, you know played here in binghamton a couple of years ago won the home run derby yeah it's kind of a wild connection but it goes to show you when you, you got a chance to go see minor league baseball mm-hmm. go see it because you never know when the stars of today are going to be the future stars of tomorrow yeah and, and i was going into this thing and there wouldn't be that many home runs because i think they said last year there was like 221 total home runs hit and i'm looking at the field going all right there's not a lot of like big names there might not be as much no they hit uh 312 home runs which beat the record, and then Vlad Jr. by himself hit 91. Yeah, that's in- which is just bonkers. They got to figure out some way too. If you hit that many, and, and there should be like a total uh-huh. like prize. I don't know. Too, yeah, like first because you hit that many mm-hmm. and you don't win. I yeah, mean, it's it, insane. It's it's nuts. But going into tonight, as we're yep. recording, is the All Star Game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got the All Star Game uh, taking place at Progressive Field in Cleveland, Ohio, 7:30 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, taking place on Fox. Uh, your pitching matchup is Hyun Yin Ryu of the L.A. Dodgers against Justin Verlander of the Houston Astros. Uh, your batting lineups are uh, Christian Yelich leading off, Javi Baez uh, batting second, uh, third is Freddie Freeman, Cody Bellinger uh, batting fourth. Nolan Arenado batting uh, fifth, Josh Bell batting sixth, uh, Wilson Contreras batting seventh, Cattell Marte batting eighth, and then Ronald Acuna Jr. batting ninth. Uh, for the American League, you've got George Springer leading off, DJ LeMahieu batting second, Mike Trout batting third, Carlos Santana fourth, J.D. Martinez fifth, Alex Bregman sixth, Gary Sanchez seventh, Michael Brantley at uh, number eight, and then Jorge Polanco batting ninth. But it should be a good game tonight. Definitely always is a fun one to watch. It's the summertime classic, so 
for baseball, this is the midseason break, and then everybody ramps up for the final push mm-hmm. to October. And the interesting thing I think I read today is they're going to be doing something interesting this year where they're actually, because it's a, it's a low-key game, it doesn't um, count towards anything. Last year, I know they had some players mic'd up when they were in the field, and the broadcast booth was going to talk to them. I think they're also going to be started doing that with two players now, so that, that might be something a little interesting. They'll have players talking back and forth during the middle of the game. It's always interesting to see them try to, you know, bring something new to the game, but it's just, you know, when you get down to it, it's the best of the best voted by the fans. Yeah, I think there ought to be just an inning where they give them all metal bats and go, here, go crazy. See what you can do. Oh, that's scary. That's a great idea. Though. That's scary. Can you, can you imagine a home run derby where, like, you got Aaron Judge and, like, every other masher home run hitter heading with metal bats? No, I don't want to vision that because oh. they'll, they'll go flying out of the stadium and then uh-huh. people walking the street are going to have to be ducking balls. So for my uh, round in the base, I'm actually going to defer to Coach Duffy because he is texting in from an unknown location. We're thinking he's still out out in Vegas, and he's saying uh, Ford Marcus Morris could be joining the Knicks after uh, something is going on that he's now not going to be signing or backing out of a deal with the Spurs. I didn't know you could do this. Interesting. I I don't know. It's something that he's saying, um, and I got the link here from ESPN, and they're saying uh, free agent Marcus Morris – uh, could abandon a two-year, $20 million agreement with the Spurs and accept a one-year deal with the Knicks. Interesting. There must be something going on there. I'm not sure exactly what's going on with this. I'm sure we're going to hear some more about this in the next couple of days, but this is a little odd to me because the Knicks did go out and they did sign yeah. forwards in the offseason. Yeah. They signed Todd yeah. Gibson and they signed uh, Julius Randle. So to add Morris to the rotation is a good move, but does that mean that they are going to try flipping somebody to Oklahoma City because that is how I'm reading this. Uh, that might be the case. Because you don't go out and sign that many players and then all of a sudden you're just going to flip positions. This yeah, yeah. Something is a little fishy, folks, so we're going to have to kind of keep our eyes on. Let's say 10 bucks says it'll happen after we finish recording. Probably. It'll be on social media and, you know, we'll be tweeting about it, posting about it. That's how we do here on the ODPH because that's all I got for this week. That's all you got, Pat? Yep. So for Pat and 1J. Thank you, thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. Hashtag ODPH Podcast. We'll see you next time.